Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I speak with attorney Derek Allen about contract brewing. Derek is a leader in alcohol beverage law, real estate development, and zoning and land use. He has extensive experience working with craft breweries, ranging in size from small startups to those with a national distribution footprint. Today, Derek and I dig into all aspects of contract brewing. We start with the differences between contract brewing and alternating proprietorships, the pros and cons, which is most common. Talk about the legal considerations in each state relative to contract brewing. And we get into certain examples of instances where you might consider contract brewing for your business. We'll go through the basics of a brewing service agreement, all the key terms, essential parts of the agreement you need to understand. And we'll wrap up with some lessons learned, things to watch out for, pitfalls to avoid. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with attorney Derek Allen on contract brewing. Thank you for having me, Kerry. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So why don't we start with a little bit of your background. You know, tell us about your, your firm, uh, your clients, the services, and uh, the states that you practice in. Sure. Um, my name is Derek Allen, and uh, the law firm I'm with now is Allen, Stahl, and Kilborn. been practicing law for 25 years here in North Carolina. Um, I started out um, out of law school at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, went to big firms uh, in Greensboro, big firm um, statewide, uh, had me set up a shop here in Asheville. Uh, so I did a uh, big firm life for uh 10 years at the first one and 12, no, 12 years for the first one, 10 years for the second one. And uh, two and a half years ago, decided I'll set up my own firm that was built around not just craft beer, but really a craft lifestyle uh, that we enjoy here in Asheville, North Carolina. So craft beer is certainly part of it, but certain ways of developing properties is part of that. Um, outdoor gear is certainly part of that. So we do lots uh, in terms of uh, music festivals, uh, music venues, uh, camping, uh, paddle boards, kayaks, uh, bicycles, um, and everything that kind of goes along with that, that craft lifestyle. And it's one of those things that, uh, that folks uh, have really latched on in the last 15 years. And craft beer is certainly part of that, but really a, an experiential way of living. And, and our firm is geared around that, both in terms of who we hire and who we work for. Uh, and it's definitely um, fits uh, the culture where we live and culture of how we live. When we started the firm two and a half years ago, we had six attorneys and uh, I think we've got uh, numbers 17 and 18 starting this fall. So it's been a, a rapid rise. And I think that's really attributable to uh, the fact that it resonates uh, as a place of comfort for people that are in those industries uh, to, to, to sit down across the table, someone who uh, gets it and, and lives it the same way they do. Absolutely. And do you practice in North Carolina solely or are you in other states as well? Almost exclusively. Uh, we're licensed uh, in North Carolina. We're licensed in Virginia, Georgia. Uh, we are licensed in California. And, and those things are, and there are maybe a couple other states are, are driven 
mostly by where our folks came from. We've got a fair number of, of big firm expats who have also wanted to, to kind of live and practice a different way, who have found us and joined our ranks, but also uh, some of our clientele, uh, particularly in the beer world, have locations in, in other states um, that are important to us and, and fit what we do. So, uh, you know, California is a great example there. We've got several breweries and uh, a big yeast manufacturer named White Labs um, that's uh, in California. And so it's, it's good for us to be licensed in both. Um, for federal work, uh, TTB and trademarking in particular, we can practice in any state. Um, for stuff that is state law specific, uh, we're mostly going to be based uh, in North Carolina. Gotcha. So one of the specialty areas for your firm is contract brewing, and that's something we're going to dig into today. So why don't we start with just some basic definitions? Um, you hear these terms, and maybe you can help define them and bring some clarity to them. So contract brewing, alternating proprietorships, what are the differences, what are the pros and cons, and which which are most common that you see? Sure. Um, contract brewing is a contract between someone who is paying someone to brew a beer from them and uh, for them and the, the brewery that is brewing that beer. Um, to me, it is uh, very generally a license agreement. Uh, and the brewery that is actually brewing the product uh, is the only one that needs uh, a federal permit to brew from the TTB and a state permit to brew, at least in North Carolina, from the ABC. Um, that said, if you called up our ABC, they would tell you that contract brewing in North Carolina only can exist between a brewery and another brewery. Um, that is a very limited way of looking at contract brewing, uh, because if you call up our same ABC, they would tell you that uh, a retailer or someone else uh, who has a retail permit uh, can have a brewery brew a beer for them on private label. Uh, to me, that's the same thing as contract brewing. Uh, and, you know, you may ask this question a little while, but that's a lot of ways uh, that folks get into brewing. Uh, if I want to start a brewery, and we'll call it uh, Carrie and Derek's Brewery. Uh, Carrie and Derek uh, don't have their space yet. They're looking for a space and they contract with 123 Brewing to brew a beer uh, for us with our name on it. Uh, on the side of the package it'll say brew, uh, brewed and packaged by 123 Brewing and it would have Carrie and Derek's uh, brewery on, on that label. We could sell that beer at retail from a space that didn't have its brewery license, uh, but only had ABC permits for retail. Uh, in North Carolina, ABC would tell you that that is private label. Uh, Derek would tell you that that's just another form of contract brewing. It's just one that you do on the front end. And for me, the, the, the big things that, that I see in contract brewing, uh, one is as a way to start up your brewery and get it out there quickly on relatively limited resources. Uh, and the second thing is making capital jumps. Uh, if I want to get into a market, uh, I want to have the, the product available and being consumed in the market before I go buy a bunch of steel to produce that excess, uh, that extra quantity that I need. And so I contract with a brewery, I go into that geographic market, build out that geographic market at the same time I was expanding my brewery. Uh, whenever I had my brewery expanded, I could make my own product. At that point, I would terminate my, my contract brewing relationship uh, and I would already build that out on day one. So there's two big ways to see it. You'd asked about alternating proprietorships. Alternating proprietorships is one geographic location and multiple uh, permits to produce product. Um, 
And in that instance, Kerry would have his brewery and you're located at uh, 123 Elm. Derek has uh, an alternating proprietorship brewery at 123 Elm. You and I have an arrangement where I come in and I use your equipment. I bring in my own employees and I am uh, located at your brewery on the days that I'm brewing, canning uh, and producing product. Um, in North Carolina, there are a few of these um, and of the ones I know, I think that they're alternating proprietorships in name only, and they're effectively either contract brewing relationships or uh, <laughs> employment problems waiting to happen uh, the way they're being done, in, in, at least in North Carolina. I can't think of a good reason to do it here. Um, in other states, you also see alternating proprietorships being used for multiple products. So uh, I would have in the same space, maybe even on the same equipment, uh, using uh, that for making beer on one day and making uh, distilled spirits on the other or wine on the other for some portion of that product. Um, the feds, uh, TTB would tell you that that is doable. Uh, North Carolina ABC would tell you that alternating proprietorships for the same space by the same owner with different products doesn't exist. So when we get a brewery, uh, winery that wants to do a different product. Uh, we just have them in North Carolina carve out a different space geographically inside of their premises uh, to do the new product. And we get a new TTB permit specific to, to, that, to that location. And that was a lot of, of talking. <laughs> Any follow-up questions to that, Gary? Oh, maybe, maybe I'll summarize and you can tell me if I got it right. So contract brewing, really, we're just talking about, you know, I'm outsourcing the brewing process to somebody and then alternating proprietorships is I'm kind of coming in and I'm going to rent your stuff. I'm going to have all sorts of legal documentation around doing that. But um, so it sounds like, I mean, my, my feeling on this is that contract brewing arrangements are, are much more common. Is that your experience? Way, way more common. Yes. Especially if you um, include that more expansive definition of, of contract brewing, which, you know, I don't know how you don't do it that way. I think that contract brewing is any time that you were putting uh, a name on the label that is a brand name other than the, the brewery that's actually brewing it. I think that's contract brewing. Gotcha. Okay. So as you mentioned, you know, each state's going to have its own rules and they can get very convoluted and so forth. How, how would you recommend if somebody's thinking about contract, maybe they're doing their research, where do they even start to understand what their particular state rules might be? Sure. Um, you know, I think that you can start at your guild. That's a great spot. Or if you have a local alliance uh, or someone, um, you know, like me, um, you know, there are, you know, one or two folks that, that do a lot of, uh, of ABC work uh, in at least the states that are around North Carolina that if I have a question uh, in South Carolina or Georgia or Tennessee, I know who to call and say, hey, uh, what do you think about this? Uh, and, and they can give you a real general answer because it's going to be something that, you know, every state is, is dealing with and you need to know, uh, you know, especially if you're going across states, you know, there are uh, lots of breweries that are in North Carolina that have contracted with the places either in, in Florida or in Ohio or in uh, Mississippi to, to brew product for them at different times. Uh, and so, you know, we needed to know what the rules were in the state where they were doing the product and then uh, absolutely 100% know what the rules are in our state in terms of how we receive the product, how the labels need to be um, uh, registered, both at uh, the federal level and the state level, uh, how things like uh, taxes and sales revenue needs to be reported to Department of Revenue. Um, for example, those are, are, are the details that might get overlooked at the beginning, um, but in six months when your reports come due and all of a sudden your numbers aren't matching up because you didn't list 
product uh, that had been contract produced uh, in the right way, then it could be a mess online. Mm, absolutely. There's a lot of, lot of details, a lot of things to think about. So if someone does the research, they kind of get their understanding of what they can do, what they can't do, generally what the rules are. Um, why might they consider contract? I mean, I think, you, you know, you had mentioned it early, like, hey, I'm getting started. I don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. Um, I just want to get my beer to market, right? That makes sense. Probably sure. fairly clear. Well, on the front end, you know, this is how it generally happens on the front end. Someone comes to me and they say, hey, I've got this, this great space. Uh, we've got the build out done. Uh, we're going to have it done uh, before my equipment's going to get here. Uh, equipment's on back order and it's going to be six months before my equipment gets here and I'm already making lease payments. What can I do? And I'm like, well, focus on getting your tap room built out. Uh, you have your tap room built out. Go ahead and get your uh, ABC retail permits so you can sell product on premise and let's hunt around and find someone who has some extra steel, some extra capacity and get them to contract brew your product. And so we would go to that brewery and say, hey, do you have capacity to do these five beers? And they would go do these five beers or 10 beers, whatever it is, uh, get the taste profiles right. And then all of a sudden you're serving your own beer in your tap room under your own name. Now in North Carolina, you know, the, the keg collar in this, in this example, we're not packaging that product, but you certainly could do that. Um, and, but in my example, uh, it's just a tap house, uh, tap room. And on the keg collars, it would say brewed and packaged by whatever the producing brewery is for this new brewery. And your, your client, your customer never sees that when they come in. All they're doing is ordering your, you know, you know, new kit on block pale ale and they're getting a pint and all of a sudden you're getting, you know, reviews and on up tapped and, and, and getting that revenue that you need for your tap room. Um, so that, that's a very common way that you would see contract brewing. Yeah. I like that. Cause a lot of people, that is the instance. I think a lot of people, they, you know, they get really close to starting up, but they're hung up for one reason or another very often. Yeah. It can be the equipment or just waiting for a contractor, but you know, if you're- here's a great real world example and, and to use names and, and in North Carolina, um, you know, we work with, I don't know, the, the numbers more than 130 different breweries in North Carolina. And so we've been, uh, I've been doing this for, about 10 years now. So really from the time that North Carolina was, was really hitting the ground and, and the big guys were rolling in Sierra Nevada and New Belgium and Oscar blues um, and white labs and those folks, but uh, breweries like, you know, wicked weed here based here in Asheville, you know, we were those guys from the, the very beginning and uh, an interesting fun fact for wicked weed is one uh, they went and did contract brewed beers on uh, an old brewery called craggy brewing uh, located on Hillard Avenue down in uh, here in Asheville, um, but they they brewed their beers uh, there on a contract brewing basis before they were up and running. So on day one, you know, they opened with, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 beers on tap because they already had them in place through this contract brewing process. Um, that same space, just another fun fact, uh, is now uh, was High Wires. Uh, if you know High Wire Brewing out of Asheville, North Carolina now with locations in Tennessee and, I don't know, Louisville and all over North Carolina, um, those guys ended up going into that same space where, where Wicked Weed did their uh, uh, did their contract brew. So just kind of a, an interesting tidbit on on where contract brewing leads to and where it might lead to. Mm, absolutely. So with contract brewing, we have a contract, right? So let's talk about that. What are the basics of a contract look like? I mean, what are we what are we looking for? Maybe maybe help us with some terms and definitions. 
Sure. You know, our, we have a, you know, a template contract brewing agreement, actually a couple of them. Uh, one of them, the one we use the most, contemplates that both the, the brewery that's brewing the product and the brewery that's going to receive the product are both located in North Carolina. Uh, that's that's kind of our, our basic template. The other one has different states uh, where the, the brewing brewery or the receiving brewery is in a different state. But the big parts are, are always going to be the same. And I tell folks on both sides that uh, it costs X dollars or to produce each beer, to produce each you know pallet, to produce each uh, keg, six to whatever you want, whatever unit you want. You know, it's going to cost X dollars. And uh, Inside of that uh, is going to be those built-in costs, and you should know what every pint costs, what every bottle, every can, every sextile, what those things cost. And then we know generally what they're going to sell for, what they're going to retail for ultimately to the consumer. And so the producing brewery and the contracting brewery uh, that's going to receive that product, they need to decide uh, how they're going to allocate the spread in between the cost and what the ultimate sales price is. And, you know, if you're on the, the, the side that's brewing it, obviously you want to get more. And if you're on the side receiving it, you want to get more, but, you know, let's say it's going to be split 50, 50. I think that's a you know, fair split. You know, you should be able to come up with that. And what we tell folks is uh, build in some flexibility uh, inside of your pricing margins. Uh, that's based off of what your intended spread is on uh, what you're brewing it for and what you're selling it for. So you can make some adjustments uh, if whatever your, um, you know, cans are costing more or your other raw ingredients are costing more, you know, building some, some adjustability inside of the, the individual price components, if you're going to do it that way, uh, so that you can still affect the same spread uh, at the end. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's a good point because there's, you know, there's very different ways to sell your beer, tap room, self-distribute, self-throw wholesaler, and you have very different margins depending on how you go out. So, contract brewing arrangement might be perfectly fine in the tap room, but not so good when you're selling to a wholesaler. So I guess the bottom line is do the math, understand your costs, your price. Do the math. That's right. And, and beer in a lot of different ways. And I could give a you know, whole podcast just on this, but beer operates very much uh, like real estate. Uh, and in this instance, that's really what you're doing, especially if you look at, you know, on the backside where you are, uh, you've run out of capacity you're selling everything you possibly can sell on site and you're trying to go into another market or open, open up another tap room. You're waiting on your equipment or don't have the money yet. And so you contract brew in that instance uh, because you don't have enough capacity. Uh, what you're doing is you know, basically leasing someone else's capacity. And so it really operates like real estate. And so inside of our contract brewing agreements, um, we will have uh, incentive measures, financial uh, payments uh, that go towards uh, lots of different ways of saying storage. Uh, if the uh, if the beer is ready and uh, the, the receiving party hasn't picked it up yet or isn't ready to receive it yet, then there is a, a price per pallet per day in our, our template that deals with that. If raw materials are sitting around and not being used, either we have title to those go to uh, the producing brewery or we have a mechanism inside of that that allows the a, a producing brewery to receive rent payments from the receiving brewery um, to uh, to account for that that space that they're taking up, and you know the, the contract brewing the brewery the producing brewery is always asking me uh, questions like, well, how much do I cost? Was, uh, how much do I charge for that? And my question is always some version of, well, how much is your floor space worth? What are you paying in rent, or if you rented it to someone, 
what is it worth? And I was like, then back it out from there. So, you know, to your earlier statement, yeah, do the math um, because it can be rooted in math. At the end of the day, you're talking about, you know, a real estate problem. Mm, yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. So I want to ask you on the contract. Um, so I'm going to say this, I, I'd like your input on like, what are the, what are the most important aspects? And I understand that it probably depends and uh, everything's important, but could you pinpoint maybe you know the top few things that if you're if you're looking at the contract, these are things you got to get these right. Sure, things you got to get right. You got to get it right the um, the overall price, the overall price you have to get right, and uh, we typically do that in a schedule uh, so that you can amend it easy. But we will often break those things down uh, for folks at the front end um, in more detail than they probably need, and so we'll have it you know based off of all the different raw uh, ingredient. Uh, and, and, and materials like cans, pallets, uh, wrapping, you know, all those things broken out and having, you know, what they're going to be charged per unit uh, inside of those things. So getting the cost right uh, is the biggest deal part. And, you know, we will usually tell folks, you go negotiate the deal that you want and need for the overall piece. And then we'll fill in, in the blanks. Uh, sometimes we're asked to, to opine uh, about what those would be based off of what we see in the market. But, you know, there's a margin that you should want to get in producing the product and you ought to be able to come up with that and back that out. So the overall price is, the, is a big one. Um, the expectations on the parties in terms of how products are ordered and when they will be produced and when and how they will be received are all things that have to go in there. Um, who's paying for shipping? When's it going to be picked up? How long is it going to sit there? Those are things that have to be allocated for. Um, in North Carolina, it's easy to, to do the next one I'll mention, which is uh, who registers the product. Uh, in North Carolina, it's going to be the receiving brewery. So if you're producing the beer for me, I'm the one that's going to register it with the TTB. I'm going to register it with, uh, with our state. Uh, and we call those label approvals, even though it's, it's registration. Um, I'm going to be responsible for uh, revenue reports and uh, department revenue taxes on that. Um, so that that's the way that we do it. But know what those are in whatever state you're, you're in. Who's going to, if, uh, if TTP colas are required and state level, state label uh, approvals are required, who's going to do that? So know that part. Um, have a uh, an ability to inspect the product so that you have uh, controls on what's being produced in terms of taste, look, labels, et cetera. Um, and in that, we will often build in, uh, in fact, our template agreement has it, um, if a taste is off, uh, there is a process for reporting that back to the, the brewery that made it. Uh, there is a way to deal with it. Uh, there is a way to deal with the destroyed product. Um, where you might uh, have uh, the option for the, the brewery that produced it to take over title to that product, not charge the receiving brewery for it. Uh, it may be destroyed, uh, but you, if you're producing beer that's supposed to taste the same as though you did it, and you're getting it from the brewery that made it and it doesn't taste the same, uh, you don't want to put it out there. If you're Sierra Nevada and you know the green can doesn't taste the same uh, coming from a, a producing brewery, then you, know, you, you don't want it out there. Uh, so you need to have controls for that. Um, those are some of the big ones for sure. Yeah. Those are great starting points. Um, on the contract as well, I've heard this term, you know, it's a contract and it's, and it's an, an agreement, but it's really designed to be used when there's a disagreement, right? So if something goes awry, whatever it may be, we, that's kind of when we tend to look at the contract. 
So in your experience, where do things tend to go awry? Where are, where are trouble spots people should be aware of? You know, uh, the ones where, you know, I, I just mentioned, um, uh, it, especially in terms of uh, timeliness, because if, if I'm a producing brewery and someone has contracted with me because they needed the beer and all of a sudden I got busy or I'm doing a bunch of different contracts for folks and I'm not getting it turned back around to them, uh, that would be a disagreement. Uh, that would be a dispute. And, and inside of, of the contract brewery agreement, contract brewing agreement, you would have in there um, a, the more specific, the better, but you would say, uh, if there is uh, this occurrence, then you get notice of default to whichever party uh, with an opportunity to cure. It's going to be cured within seven days or 10 days or whatever it is. Uh, and after that, then, you know, the, the contract can be terminated. Do you have any uh, horror stories to share? Any favorite stories uh, of where things maybe had gone wrong? Um, well, another one I could throw out there that, that, you know, came from a horror story and that was, you know, related to IP. And that's another thing that needs to be in your contract brewing agreement um, is uh, how IP is handled um, on both ends. Uh, the, and, and I, I think I mentioned earlier in, in, in this cast that, you know, it's really just a license agreement. At the end of the day, you're licensing uh, to a party, uh, your trademark, your recipe to, to build this beer for you. And in return, you get back this beer and you're selling it. Uh, but inside of your uh, agreement, you need to make sure that you got uh, real specific protocols and understandings of who has trademarks, uh, that they actually have them. Um, because if you get a cease and desist, for example, for a product that a uh, brewing brewery is making for someone else, um, the brewing brewery needs to, to let the contracting brewery, the receiving brewery know about that so they can go out there and into the marketplace and, and deal with that. Uh, so that that's one that um, that I've had that that was a nightmare to, to unwind because uh, the information wasn't there. So if you look at our template brewing agreement now, there's an affirmative obligation for the producing brewery to notify the receiving brewery of any alleged trademark infringement issues so they can timely deal with those things. Mm, good. Thank you for that. In fact, you know, in the contract brewing agreement, um, just about every provision uh, that's not kind of the, the first couple, which are the, you know, the term of the agreement, how long it's going to last, names of the parties and the price. Most of the other ones are the result of either an anticipated problem or a real world problem that's happened on another agreement. And we've had to uh, build in an, an extra provision so it doesn't happen in the future. It's all trial and error, right? Oh, yeah. Don't want to don't want to make the same mistake multiple times. So we've talked a bit about, you know, why contract brewing makes sense from the perspective of the receiving brewery, right? Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have my equipment for six months. I want to have some beer going through the taps. If we flip it around and look at it from the perspective of the manufacturer, the, the contractor, um, you know, is this something I guess in your experience, um, is this something, is it a good way for them to add maybe revenue, diversify? It sounds like it's really a capacity play, but what have you seen in that regard from the perspective of the, the, the brewery that may become the contract or is thinking about that? Sure. I think there are two, two kind of big camps of folks I think about when I think about why would someone do this? One is there are contract breweries out there. That's all they do is contract brewing. And um, I know three of them that are on the East coast or east, eastern half of the U.S. that, that do a lot of it. Um, you know, I've got plenty of, you know, my clients that have used them um, and, and that's all they do. And then the other side of it is 
um, you know, this real estate idea. Um, if you have a whole bunch of empty real estate, a whole bunch of empty space, then you want to uh, employ it and, and get some revenue generated by that empty space. And that applies whether we're talking about beer or uh, commercial space or you know residential space. If you've got space that's not being used that you're paying for on a mortgage or you've already paid for it, uh, you might as well deploy it into commerce and, and use it. And so when I've got one right now I'm dealing with, they've never done contract brewing on the producing side. They've done bunches of it as they've grown and become a pretty big outfit, but now they've got a bunch of excess capacity. Um, and with that excess capacity, they're like, you know, we've got this opportunity and I'm like, yeah, you can totally do it. Just make sure it's, it's worth it to you because there is some hassle in dealing with, you know, a third party and in, in making their product. Hmm. And worth it being operationally, make sure it doesn't kind of mess up what you already got going. And then financially that, it, you know, it adds to the bottom line. That's right. That you're making enough money on it and that it's not disrupting your regular, you know, your day job, so to speak. The best money that you can make anywhere is selling pints in your own tap room. And so, you know, I've been preaching this for, if I've been doing this for 10 years, at least eight years, uh, I've known that that's the best way to make money in, in this business is being able to do that. And, um, in doing that, you know, you have a capacity for your space because you can only run so many customers through that. And so, you know, again, it's that whole real estate component of it. If you're, you know, slinging, you know, 3,000 barrels a year out of your tap room and it's 10,000 square feet and you can't do, you can't be open any more hours, then you need another tap room and you can do it, you know, down the street like Wicked Weed did. Um, that Funkatorium that Wicked Weed has, when we first permitted that, it's, I would say, call it two blocks, two blocks in our main, you know, main tap room. Uh, we permitted it. Um, and I said, Hey, let's go ahead and just make it a brewery. Let's go ahead and make it a, a retail space. You know, even if you're not going to use it. Um, uh, and they were worried about cannibalizing sales from the main tap room and they had just a tiny little, you know, you know, tap room at the front of this, this warehouse, a bunch of warehouse space and, you know, and just built it out from there. And not only did it not take away from the main tap room, but made the, the main tap room something different, a different experience and highlight the sales of it. And so then they had, you know, this idea of we'll make the next one. So from there on out, every single brewery I had that was going to do another location, it's like, hey, we're, we're making this thing a brewery and we're making it a tap room. And, you know, Wicked Weed right now has, I think, four in town. Highwire has three in town. Highwire has gone to Charlotte, Durham, Wilmington, Knoxville, Louisville. There's another one that's down, maybe in, I don't know, a new one coming on Alabama or somewhere down that way. It, it's just a lot because, you know, they get it. And selling beer outside of the tap room is something like selling three or four beers to equal that one that you sold to someone who had it in their hand in your own space. Yeah, that's typically what we say. It's you know, four to five times as profitable to sell it over the bar. <laughs> it's, so it's, just do that until you don't have any beer left. Yeah, and, and when you don't have any beer left, then you figure out a way to make more beer and you figure out a new space if you need more space and mm -hmm. you know, continue to build out tap rooms. I was like, you know, you're, you're not going to make $100 million, but you're going to make, you know, one to two per, per location if you're doing it right. Absolutely. So if somebody's listening to this, they want to dig in a little bit more on, maybe the nuances and particulars of contract brew. Do you have any, any books that you, any resources, websites, articles that we could uh, refer folks to? There's plenty of articles out there. And I know that we've got some uh, on our 
website with some blog pieces that we've done. Um, I know that uh, Craft Brewing Professionals has a contract brewing um, uh, interview that they did with me and a couple of other folks that's on their channel, which I, I know is on Spotify and YouTube. That's a good resource. Um, and, you know, figure out, you know, where those builds, those guilds are, uh, or figure out the states that you want to be in, uh, contact the guilds, contact people like me. Uh, we'll be happy to explain, you know, how it works. Um, you know, it, if you're in North Carolina, I wouldn't try calling the ABC because you probably won't get a call back, but there'll be plenty of folks that, um, like everything else in craft beer, it, it's pretty friendly on telling folks how it works. Uh, not a lot of competition in that space. Great. So a lot of good information here. Really appreciate your time. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about your firm, your services, what's the best way for them to do that? Certainly. Um, come visit our website. Uh, asklawnc.com is the website. Uh, shoot me an email. I am dja at asklawnc.com. I'm on the Twitterverse as uh, in, at NC Brewery Law. And I'm on uh, Instagram at, at NC Brewery Law. Awesome. So people can check you out there. Derek, thanks so much for the time and the information. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, Get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.